Hi there, Michael Zuber. Thanks for listening to the One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that the book One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible? Yes, to all my podcast listeners out there, One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible. Go check it out and please leave a five-star review. Have a great day. Hey everyone, I got a really exciting show for you today. I have someone that I've been stalking on Instagram. He goes by the handle of the Millennial Money Mentor. Uh, we're going to refer to him as Jose today. Uh, let's welcome Jose to the show. How you doing, Jose? Hey, Michael, doing great. Very excited to be a part of the show. Appreciate you having me on. Excellent. Well, why don't you do us a quick favor? Introduce uh, us to Jose. What do you do? What have you done? You know, went to college, came out. Uh, what is your background that lets you be the millennial money mentor? Yeah, great place to start. So I always like to let people know I don't come from a finance family. Uh, we're actually immigrants to the U.S. from Venezuela. Uh, I was very lucky to have the opportunity to grow up in the States and um, has given me the opportunities professionally and, and everything moving forward that I'm super grateful for. Grew up in Central Florida, was a athlete my whole life played baseball and was very, very blessed with the opportunity to play collegiate baseball on scholarship. I uh, ended up you know, playing Division One baseball at a school here called Mercer in Georgia. And I had to pick something that I could do while being an athlete at the same time. And I uh, was always somewhat decent at math. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a not ideal economic situation growing up. So that showed me the value of, of money and understanding it. So I said, hey, let me let me do finance. So I uh, worked hard as a student athlete and, um, you know, worked hard to, to network and uh, was very lucky to get in front of some people and was, was uh, given the opportunity to serve as a financial advisor for a firm here in Atlanta, a well-known well financial institution, and worked very closely with uh, you know, corporate employees and helping them with their equity compensation, stock options, equity awards. Uh, financial planning in general, retirement planning, the whole nine. I was with that for years and to start my online presence as, as you connected with me through Instagram. I've been doing that for about a year now. And, um, you know, I've, I did that because I didn't have the freedom to put out the content that I do uh, now when I was still an advisor. So, a lot of people that don't work in finance don't really understand that side of it. So it's more of a, a decision to forego something that's an excellent career and a big opportunity for me. But I saw the social media as a way of impacting a, a much larger crowd and you know, people that probably didn't have the opportunity to study in school and certainly don't work in the industry. So, uh, you know, when I was with the firm, I had about 20 million in assets under management, which is a nice chunk for someone my age. I'm 26 and got to see. Uh, a good, good deal of, of what happens in the industry, financial planning, and obviously the, the type of environment that we're seeing now is very serious. So I feel uh, lucky to have some of that experience from moving into this type of environment. So I can talk to people about these types of things and, and make sure that I can be somewhat more or less trustworthy when it comes to such an important subject. Yeah. So I, so, so you're 26 now. Yeah. How were how old were you when you made that decision decision to really uh, transfer? Right, because you went out of a role that had to be licensed and basically yeah. didn't allow you to contribute to social media in the way right. that you wanted to. How right. old were you when you made that decision? It was right out a year ago, actually. Um, wow. I was twenty five, and I got in the industry when I was twenty three, uh, right out of school, 
and it was out of nowhere. You know, um, I, I started learning about how you could use social media outside of just sharing pictures with your friend and personal branding, all this stuff. I never even thought about uh, the, the firm I was with, what I was thought was going to always just be what the big leagues wasn't for me. You know, I, I always wanted to play Major League Baseball. I didn't quite get there. So I saw that firm as the next closest thing. And I just held it up such a high pedestal. And, you know, after you see it and, and you're in it for some time, you see it for what it is. And I said, you know what, I, I think I can do something even bigger. So um, it was tough because I, I saw the type of money my more direct senior partners were making and that sort of thing. And to completely leave all that to say, hey, I'm going to make videos and, you know, make posts on Instagram to people that don't understand finance isn't the most logical thing. So um, a lot of people didn't understand it and I didn't get a ton of support, honestly, from a lot of people for it. But uh, it's nice to see people respect it now. And obviously, it's still a long way to go. But yeah, I mean, a pretty pivotal decision at a early stage of my career where I had a lot of momentum, what I was already doing. And it was tough, but, you know, I think you got to take chances in life and especially while you're young and leverage the tools that are out there and, and just, and just, you know, be someone that, that can be a value to other people. Oh man, you, you have a set of cojones uh, <laughs> Thank that, you. that very few people do uh, because again, you're, you're stepping out of something that you already had three years of success. And in that business, the longer you're in it, the more the rewards are. It's just how oh, yeah. that goes. And you are stepping into this muck and mire of social media where the rule, there are no rules or very few rules. None. And uh, you're just, and you're doing it from a, a way of service. I mean, I, I checked out your Instagram a lot more in detail uh, when, when I, you said yes to this interview. So, um, I mean, why, why did you take the moniker, uh, the millennial money mentor? Um, because, you know, at least, you know, at the time you were, what, 25? Right. No, you know, most millennials don't have a lot of money at that age, right? And, yeah. Uh, uh, but you saw it as a calling, which I totally get, totally respect and appreciate. But talk about that decision, because I'm sure that wasn't even easy. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Um, I, I did make a solid investment in understanding personal branding and getting some coaching, that sort of thing. And, and the person that I approached said, hey, listen, you got you to gotta appeal to a certain group and you have to speak to them in a certain way, and that's how you gain traction with them. So I said, okay, well, uh, I am working with people that are much older than me, have a lot more money than me, and they respect me, and that's great, but uh, if I'm going to go on social media with no backing, you know, no one really knows me, I need to speak to a group of people that, A, are on the platform, right? Most, most of the clients that I was working with weren't on Instagram, <laughs> but also uh, to a group of people that needed it. So. Um, you know, there was a couple different ideas that I had, but the, I guess the, uh, the alliteration millennial money mentor, it just kind of, um, you know, rang well to me and I said, well, let, let's go with this. And man, a lot of this has just been figuring it out, Michael. It's, I don't know. I didn't know anything about content creation or social media or, or really how to use Instagram. When I made that decision, I just kind of said, Hey, I'm going to figure it out. And um, you know, there's been a steep learning curve. I feel like a year in now, I have an idea of how it works and what works and what people are on the platforms for and how to get people's attention. But man, it was, it was a lot of figuring it out and I'm still figuring it out now. So in all honesty, a lot of that is, is just me just kind of trying different things. 
Very cool. One of the things that I know I wanted to do with you is, is make sure we talk about a couple of key subjects or topics that will be important today, but probably more important in three to five years. And, and the number one thing that I think calls into that category is inflation. Sure. Right. For millennials, inflation has been a non, non thing your entire life. Right. right. It's, it's been sub 2% really for, uh, yeah, all of your life. Right. And yeah. given what's going on right now uh, with the money printing and, yep. you know, all of these things that, you know, that we appear to have to do to get through this virus, um, you know, sometimes the medicine has a side effect. And I suspect uh, one of the side effects from this medicine is going to be inflation. Uh, how do you how do you educate a millennial on the word inflation when they've never experienced? They think it's the big bag boogeyman that their parents or grandparents talked about. Um, you know, how do you have that kind of discussion? Yeah, and that's that's a really good point. Uh, and I totally agree with you. We haven't really seen inflation, and the only time I've really even thought about it is in financial planning for older people or just like in school, right? So everything more or less has stayed somewhat similar in terms of price, but. I think when people just look at the numbers, when like, you know, I tried to explain the other day about what the Fed was doing with, with simulating the economy. And then you just look at these headlines and you just think about the fact that all these dollars are starting to be just literally added to the supply of money. Just basic supply and demand tells you, hey, I'm going to need a lot more dollars to be able to afford the same type of thing. So I, I just, you know, try to break it down and, and something that's relatable to us, you know, think about that this $16,000 car. Hey, that's going to be that $16,000 isn't going to be the same car in five, 10 years, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, people just need to understand that a inflation is real. B we're probably definitely going to start seeing it more because of what, what the fed is doing to, to step in and hopefully get a handle on this thing. And it's something that we need to start planning around. And I think that there are several ways that you can do it. Um, you know, depending on what your taste is, uh, I think number one, you can own uh, assets that are going to appreciate faster <laughs> than the, the, the inflation rate, which, has been 2%, it's probably be higher now. So some asset classes or investments that you can own there, stocks, real estate in your case, uh, things that are just gonna appreciate in value over time because I think a lot of people my age think about having cash in the bank as wealth. And every single year, you know, um, that historically has been losing about 2% every single yeah. year in terms of what you can actually buy. Not, not the actual dollar amount, but what you can buy. And that's what I want people to understand. I saw it a lot when I was running financial plans for retirees because I would show them, hey, look, let's look at the cash flow. In year one of retirement, you're spending $50,000 to get by. Great. And you know, year five and year 10, that $50,000 is not getting the same lifestyle. And I'd show them how much we have to pull from the portfolio to, to live the same lifestyle. And they're saying, well, I'm, I'm not trying to take more trips. I'm not trying to buy more things. I'm saying, and I say, I understand that. But if things keep getting more expensive, which they are, you're going to need more money just yeah. to keep the same level of lifestyle. And when I put it in those terms, I think it started clicking a little bit more for, for people. So that's, that's kind of my approach. Yes. Yeah, so let's make this more millennial focus because I get why the old people get that, right? That kind of plays for me, right? 50,000 right. a year is not going to be the same 50,000 in 10 years. But again, and again, I was thinking about this as you're going through this, right? Um, 
most millennials, when they think about inflation or deflation, they'll just tell you my iPhone's cheaper the longer I wait, right? So they've really <laughs> only experienced deflation. And I, I'm not trying to be a dick, but. No, no, it's true. Very true. Right. But what if you did the, the graph about what did the first iPhone cost? I don't even remember, but I think it was like $399 or $499. Yeah. Yeah. And then you talk about the latest one. 12, I mean, that, that's the inflation that I think millennials will wake up to. Uh, if, if you just I think make so it, too. I think that's a great example. Yeah. So I think that's how you can do it. Cause again, you got to make it tangible and in their language with their platforms, right? If you just talk about the iPhone eight, it's like, well, it's cheaper now. What, well, I'll just wait. No, let's talk about the iPhone first gen compared to today. That shows you what, what happens to with inflation. So just my thoughts. Yeah, no, that's, and that's a great point. And just think about like if the iPhone just came out for the first time in today's world, how expensive it would be, you know, exactly. another, another way of putting it. So that's, yeah. that's an excellent way of putting it. Yeah. Cause I think, I think, I, again, I, I, I feel terrible for millennials, man. My daughter's a millennial. So, I mean, yeah. I, I get it there. You're going to, the medicine that we're, the side effect of the medicine that we have to do today is going to be inflation. I just, I don't see any way around it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, that's, I think a, a big reason why the, the people that are my age that see the stuff that's going on are so into things like crypto currencies and that sort of thing because they're they're aware of it and they're you know they feel some type of way about it and that's kind of how they feel like they should prepare for it i mean listen to, to each their own but in either case we need to start understanding the fact that i think in our lifetime inflation is definitely going to start being a thing and yeah. we need to understand what we can do about it awesome so keep it up the other one i love that you put out i, I scrolled back a little bit was around impulse buying or oh, you yeah. called it impulse spending habits yeah. Right. Save, save, save. Oh shit. I need this new thing. Oh, save, save, save. I, need it. I mean, that just, you don't get anywhere with that. I would, it's sort of my take on that. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, and this is just me having more time on social media and, and seeing how things operate. I think that uh, marketers have just gotten better about finding ways to get us to click buy now, you know, yeah. um, and, and the impulse and getting us to think and make decisions rather based off of our emotions and how things are described, how the products is, is described. And, and, and you think about the world we're in now where Amazon prime, it's to your doorstep in two days or less. Yeah. You can almost pretty much feel that product in your hand already. <laughs> you know, all you yeah. have to do is click the button and it's pretty much already there. Yeah. So I think that those are some of the things that have attributed to the kind of impulse spending that sort of thing that, that we get tagged for. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that any generation that grew up in sort of environment more or less would, would probably succumb to that a little bit. But I think that a, a part of it as well is just an understanding of what you probably could be doing with that money instead of just purchasing whatever that may be. Um, you know, when you think about building wealth, it's, it's a completely different thing than let me just buy something because I like it or think it's nice. When you actually have a reason as to why you're dedicating cash flow to something, I think it's a completely different um, story. But then again, you know, with people my age, you can't tell them, hey, you're dumb for buying that iPhone. You need to go purchase some shares of whatever company. Right. It's, there's got to be a clear reason behind it, you know, and that's, that's where maybe tying it to some sort of goal or, um, you know, whatever resonates with somebody. I think that's much more, uh, prudent strategies and just saying, Hey, you're, you're silly for buying this. It's no, what can we do with this money that would be more productive? 
You know, yeah. is it a business? Is it investing? Is it real estate? Whatever. Uh, I, I just think my generation in general just doesn't think that way. Um, a, because that's not really how we think about things in general, unless you worked in this kind of capacity. But, you know, we have so many distractions in front of us and it's, 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 it's so easy just to succumb to them. So that's why it's important to think about these things and understand where your money's going and why. Yeah. So really what you and I know it's called, this is called the opportunity cost, right? Opportunity cost of decisions and all of that. Um, but the, the idea that I want to play with yeah. you here is the biggest thing for me, even, it, even with my age group, right? So I'm Gen X, right? So my daughter sure. is millennial. Um, I think what we need to do is stop seeing things as dollars and we need to see them as time. For example, yeah. if something costs $2,000 or 200, whatever your number, let's say 200. If you make 10, 20 bucks an hour, that's, you know, that's 10 hours before taxes. And in right, reality, that's tax. 20 hours, right? Post tax. Right. How does that $200 thing look if you had to work 20 hours for it? I think exactly. that's, what, that's what we need to talk about more with millennials. We've gotten, we've gotten too much on the dollars. Hey, it's on sale. Use this coupon code, you know, whatever. Buy now, save. So you're looking at, hey, I saved 75 bucks for something I want. We need to start, we need to educate people saying, how much do you make an hour? And we need to translate everything into either pre or post tax, whatever is easier for you. Right. Because a lot of decisions are a flat out no if you tell me I got to work 10 hours for it. I got to yeah. work out 10 hours for that dinner that I just had with my girlfriends. No, we're going to go yeah. home and buy a pizza and just chill, right? Yeah. That's what we need to do. So we need to make, we need to, if the prices on them had one for dollars and one for time, I think that, that people would sell a lot less stuff. So marketers probably don't want to do that, but that's how we need no, to No, they don't. Pizza. They don't. And that's funny you say that because I, I more or less kind of play that game in my mind too sometimes. I'm like, you know, is this, is this really worth X hours of whatever I'm doing? Yeah. You know, is it worth if you're in sales, is it worth how many ever sales calls it takes to I'm an effort versus the dollars themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's something, uh, the more and more you can work in to get people to think about it, whether it's a financial goal or some kind of challenge, I think that'd be really, really cool. Yeah. The, other, the other thing I want to talk about that is important for you, it just amazes me, you know, that a 25, 26 year old is talking about this. So congrats. It's financial you. goals. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think about it. I mean, the only thing I was thinking about at 25 was, you know, how I could put food on the table and, you know, what's right. the next thing I could buy. Sure. Um, so why don't you talk, how did you come to that? What did you see? Was it all the older folks you were seeing? I mean, how does it, I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't even compute that you see the importance in financial goals. That's just awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, it, for me, it just comes from my time in the industry. I mean, running okay. hundreds of financial plans for people and having hundreds of planning conversations and just saying, hey, what's important to you? What are you trying to accomplish? Okay, um, now let's put together an investment mix that makes sense with that, how much time we have to work with. So in my mind, it makes sense. And that's the only reason why. Um, but, you know, if you think about just any kind of strategy, any type of thing that you're trying to accomplish, whether it's a, you know, sports, whatever. I, I think that if you have something that you're aiming towards, at least you have some sort of context. You know, um, I was an athlete, so you can say, hey, I'm trying to hit 300 this season or whatever. At least that's something that you're working towards. And then you can make decisions that are going to be in line with that ultimate goal. So maybe I'm going to spend some time in the batting cage or, you know, um, get some extra lessons, whatever. As it relates to finance, maybe you have a, a goal of, I want to have this in passive income. 
and um, this is why I want it, and this is the time frame that I'm giving myself. Now we have some guidelines to work with, and now we have to look at what are the vehicles that are going to help us get there. Is it real estate? Is it the markets? Is it, is it a business? Is it a combination of all these? And then now it's time to start, you know, really making decisions based off of your personal circumstances, how, how comfortable you are with risk, uh, your ability to do one or the other. And, and now at least we have some context. And I think the word context is incredibly important when it comes to money because, you know, in an environment like now, uh, if you don't know what you're investing the money for, you're completely new to investing, you put money into the markets and you see it get, you know, potentially have, you're going to panic. But on the other side, if you're saying, listen, I'm comfortable with putting this money to work for a period of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, that's a completely different conversation. So I think as it relates to goals in general, the main reason to think that way is context and you can make decisions that are in line with, and at least you have a reference point. And if you have two things that come in front of you, you at least have the ability to say, is decision A or B going to get me closer to whatever I have in front of me or, you know, that future goal that I have for myself. So, um, you know, you can call it thinking rationally about it, however you want to frame it. But I think it just gives you guidelines and it gives you context. And I think that's very valuable. Very cool. I just want to put this a little more fine point for people watching this. Um, like when you're talking to a millennial, uh, or a coach or you're advising someone, are you saying, Hey, have a 12 month goal, three year goal, 10 year goal, or, uh, you know, what, what is the kind of brackets you ask them to at least think about? Absolutely. I, I think that you should have, you should have all three. You should definitely have short term goals. You know, that may be uh, building emergency savings funds or paying down, uh, you know, high interest debt, um, you know, purchasing or putting down payment on a home. All those are acceptable. Uh, medium term, that could be uh, you know a large purchase down the road, or starting a business, or acquiring a solid amount of real estate, that sort of thing. And then you can have long term or more aspirational goals. And then you know the time time is very important, especially in investing, because that tells you how much risk you can afford to take. Mm -hmm. So if you're telling me that you're trying to build a fund for you know a, a home purchase that's coming up in one to three years, and you tell me, hey, I'm going to go 100% Apple stock on this. I'm going to say that doesn't make sense, right? But if you're saying I'm investing for my retirement 20, 30, 40 down, years down the road, I'm saying, okay, no, not, now we're, we're speaking with a little bit more sense. Mm. Um, but definitely, and you know, I think the thing about my generation is quote unquote retirement is so, so far away that we don't really know how to approach it. And that's fine. But as long as you know that it's far away, that's much better than saying, I don't know what I'm investing this money for and I'm just going to throw it at the markets. But I think that having that structured kind of tier of goals is very important because, you know, uh, you're, you have things that are important now and you have things that are going to be important down the road. And obviously it's not always going to be the same and you got to be able to adjust, but at least having that framework, uh, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. So one of the things we got to talk about given we're both, you know, been, you know, Gosh, I've been, I've been following money since before you were born. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm old. Uh, but anyways, so, you know, you, you were a teenager uh, the last time the market kind of rolled yep. over, right? You know, uh, yep. just, just doing the math. Yep. Um, you know, this is the time you're, you're investing, you're seeing it up close. You're, you're seeing kind of crazy things, right? Record down days, crazy yep. up days. Um, how, how would you tell a millennial who in the last what is today? Today, Tuesday, last seven days, there've been seven moves of a thousand point or greater. Is that just, 
That hurts my head to say. It's a lot. Um, and my entire is behind all this, what we're seeing. I think that we are seeing just completely new markets compared to what we've seen in the past. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is the world is different. You, know, you think about how quickly information moves right now. Someone gets sick in Sweden with the coronavirus, you find out about it in seconds if you're on Twitter, mm -hmm. right? And you, you combine that with algorithmic trading, all these machines making all these trades based off headlines and uh, you know, different patterns and all these different things. It's no surprise to me that we saw both the fastest correction and I believe bear market in history because you combine the speed at which information moves right now and all those other things like high frequency traders and algorithms, everything is playing into it. I think that um, it's, it's a real recipe for volatility. And for someone that's newer to investing, I think it's, it's important to understand that I think, I think investing is, is definitely getting riskier in a sense, yeah. at least uh, in these types of environments, you know. So um, I, I was just, you know, I try to keep up with people that know a lot more than I do. And, and a lot of them just have shown historical patterns about these types of things. And the one thing I see is, is the road to the bottom is usually bumpy like it yep. was in 08. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I was a teenager. I was, I was trying to make varsity baseball as a freshman. Um, you know, I, I was, that's all I cared about. But <laughs> you go back and, and look at the chart and, you know, you look at August and it looked like, hey, this thing is over. And obviously it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, S&P ended up almost 40% down for the year, which is, is very scary to think about. But yeah. it just shows you what's happened in the past and it's not out of the question now but then you obviously you see the recovery and, and you see the value of of playing it for the long run and uh, you know i i fully believe in in our ability to recover from this and it, it might just take some time but if you have time on your side you can see this environment as an opportunity number one uh, to potentially pick up some companies that are trading at what you could consider to be a discount. And even if you are just investing in the general S&P 500 or American economy, I would much rather buy at these prices than a month ago, right? <laughs> um, and you can spread that, that, that timing risk out by just doing you know, what we call dollar cost averaging, just putting money to work just over time. That way you're not throwing it all at the market at once. And we see another down day where it's down a thousand points and you're freaking out. So yeah. um, it's much easier to say it than to do it. But uh, it's, I think it's important to see these types of things as an opportunity to truly buy low and hopefully in the future sell high. It's just as humans, it's easy to do the opposite, right? We want to wait until it recovers and then, yeah. then we want to buy. And then, you know, when it starts dropping, oh, now we're, now we're going to, now we're going to sell. Um, and uh, I, I think that's just one of the better ways of approaching the environment that we're in right now. Yeah. One of the things I knew I wanted to ask you if this conversation went well and it's gone well, so I'm going to ask it Thanks. is um, one of my theories that I've kind of thought about just the last couple of days is something that my generation became and almost became gossipable, right? Buy the index funds, just, just bet on the market, right? Buy whatever right. index fund, low, low management fee, and just don't even think about it, right? I believe what has happened is that combined with high frequency trading and all these triple ups and triple downs and all these other things yeah. um, has created an environment where everybody is in a theater that's overcrowded, but they didn't add more exits. Right. So somebody yelled fire and then somebody else yelled fire and then somebody else and pretty soon people are getting out and then you have 3000 down point down days. So the reason yeah. I bring that up is 
I unfortunately think that the day of the index fund is kind of seen its heyday. I think it will be written up in months to come as the problem. But the answer is you need to think stock picking. I mean, stock picking has been a dirty word since 2008, and it was a really dirty word into the dot-com crash. Sure. Um, but I think that's going to become the topic of the day. I, you know, am I nuts? Am I just overthinking it given the chaos or what, what are your think, thoughts on no, that? No, no. I, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I've, I've definitely seen a lot of, of people pointing in that direction as well. Um, you know, looking at things like bond ETFs, failing to track their, their index by yeah. several hundred basis points. That's scary to see. I mean, you know, uh, I think that it shows the challenges of trying to make an asset that is more or less illiquid, like just corporate bonds, yeah. uh, trying to make it liquid. Um, you know, I, I definitely see what Michael Burry was talking about in, in that case. You know, I, he's kind of been saying that there's been an ETF bubble for, for a long time. And I didn't really pay attention to it at first. But now I'm, I'm starting to kind of see when things start getting a little bit crazy, it's, it becomes a recipe for these types of things. Um, I think potentially it may still be okay in the more liquid areas, you know, just large cap publicly traded kind of companies. But even then, uh, it's not it's not completely safe either. You're still seeing very, very substantial drops. Um, I think that the, the misconception is that index funds and ETFs are, are safer. They're not necessarily safer. They just give you more diversification in some cases. But um, I think that there is a lot of talk about the need to be able to, uh, you know, like you said, owning quality companies, right? Yeah. Just the ability to just look at a company fundamentally, you know, you don't have to be Ray Dalio, you don't have to be Warren Buffett, but just, just look at the fundamentals and say, is this company in a solid financial position? Okay. Is it good at what it does? Okay. Does it have solid management? Great. What is it doing to increase its earnings? What is it doing to be a more valuable company to its yeah. customers and shareholders? I don't think that is a, a very difficult thing to, to learn, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to learn some, some things about it, but um, I think that that sort of thinking is going to be more appreciated because you don't have, like you said, that the, the, the crowded theater type of um, environment when you're owning individual companies. but I think it's going to take us getting out of this thing and then really oh. reassessing. Yeah, we got to get out of this thing first. But again, it's just, it was so mad. It, it didn't, it sort of started to break apart yesterday. But the first kind of five days where there were just thousand point moves, everybody was going up and down the same percentage. I'm like, yeah. how can every company be as good or bad? I mean, that just doesn't right. mathematically make sense, right? And that's the problem when everything is index funds is everything gets sold at the same time or gets spotted at the same time, depending on what side of the equation you're on. And I'm like, that's just, that's just wrong. So the idea yeah. I think going forward for 2020 is okay. Find the companies that are inadvertently punished because they're a larger component of indexes. Right. And then go buy them individually. Cause you, I think there will millennials today, if you can, if, and when we get through this and, and you have the guts to pull the trigger, you will find the buying opportunities of a lifetime. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that uh, we are either in it or you know close to it. If it, if we're not already at the bottom, um, any any time within this window, I think that there are definitely going to be um, some very very attractive opportunities for people. Uh, I just want to make sure that obviously people are covering their bases first. 
because um, I think <laughs> kind of a, a thing that I'm seeing on social media is because it's such a good opportunity, there's almost a sense of fear missing out. And yeah. you know, I had someone ask me today, hey, should I be day trading my, my, my liquid uh, savings, my emergency savings account? And I was just like, you know, I, I, I don't come from a, a place of judgment. I was just like, hey, listen, that's just not a good idea. You know, yeah. that's, that's something that you need to have regardless. So I, I just want to make sure people have that covered before they think about throwing all their savings at something. But if you have some capital on the side right now and you don't have a better use for it, I think that, like you said, there are going to be some great opportunities if they're not already here now. Yeah, there's, there's one other thing that I knew I wanted to talk about with you is, and again, you could just tell me to F off. I don't care. <laughs> um, I think there's been a couple of momentum stocks that millennials have jumped on. And that is so dangerous. Tesla comes to mind first and then that kind of oh, yeah. its day. And then um, this rocket company, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Uh, Branson's company. Yeah, uh, Galactic or something. Galactic, Virgin yeah. Galactic. Yeah, whatever it was. Some, some place going to Mars, right? Whatever right. It was. And it just went up like, that's one thing I would coach people on is, is um, that has never ended well. Right. I've been through a lot. The dot, I mean, that was so, that was so easy to call as somebody who survived the dot-com crash. Anything, something goes parabolic with no real news. Right. Um, that's a problem people. That's, that's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that, that would be something I would start warning people on because it, 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 it just happened twice. And then we got into this environment. So maybe it's over, but I saw those two things back to back. I'm like, God, they're doing it again. Because for me, it was pets.com and Webvan and all these things that couldn't miss. Everybody's got pets. Right. You got to get, how would you like food delivered, right? Because before Amazon, there was this thing called Webvan that got like $2 billion and burned through it in like six months. So right. I don't know. That's just something I knew I wanted to bring up. You think that's true? Yeah, no, and I, I think that's, that's a good point because I got plenty of messages about it when I was going on. And, you know, no one, no one wants to hear, hey, you know, we, let's be a little bit more rational because you're seeing it shoot up just insane amounts. And if you, if you say something like that, then you're kind of labeled as someone that doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I guess it just kind of comes with territory. But, um, you know, I just going back to just like the fundamentals yeah, for, for the longest time, that's, it might still be the case. I remember looking back at the PE of Tesla and didn't have one because they didn't have earnings, right? It was still negative. So, um, you know, that sort of thing is, 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 is concerning. Um, you know, if, if you're making some more risky type of moves, you know, you're swing trading or whatever, just be careful how much of your portfolio you dedicate to it. You know, I, I, I'm not big into day trading. I'm not big into the foreign exchange, all those things that a lot of my people, my generation is into. I'm just not into it. And if you are going to be trying to make these risky plays, you need to understand that you can't, you can, ha you can only risk so much of the portfolio you've already built right now. You've worked so hard to build because, you know, we think that if we lose 5%, we got to make 5%. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's not how it works. You got to make more just to break even yep. the more that you lose. And yeah. until you actually look at the math, it doesn't make sense, but that's just how it works. And uh, I think when, when people understand the value of consistency over chasing returns, um, it makes sense, but that's just not sexy. And that's not what does well on social media. So, you know, you got to kind of find a way to talk about these things where, uh, you know, you appease the fact that, Hey, people are excited about it, but then you got to say, well, listen, let's think about this rationally as well. So yeah. that's, that's something I'm still working towards and working through. Yeah. The thing that I would, the thing I'll put out there, and again, I understand you can't, but I can. And cause I don't care. Uh, people that are chasing these kind of momentum stocks, 
I, I don't mind that you do it. I mean, I did it once back in the day and I, I lived very, really, really well until I didn't. And then I lost six figures and yeah. you want to, you want to feel bad as a 26 year old, go lose a hundred grand. Yeah. Um, you can do it, but don't you dare call yourself an investor. That's where I draw the line. I have right. no people, no problem with people going to Vegas and gambling. If you want to go to Wall Street and gamble, go for it. Just don't right. you dare call yourself an investor. That's where I draw the line. If you want to go yeah. gamble and have fun and day trade and do all this stuff, awesome. Go for it. Have fun. But don't you dare call yourself an investor. That's what I think. Yeah, and I, and I, I agree. I think um, I guess people consider it more old school when it comes to it because day trading and these types of more risky things get just a lot more attention on social media i think it's just because of the way these platforms are built they're just built to like show the sexy side of things and just like what's exciting and what that big trade was that 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 is much more likely to get shared and people much more space on social media is that's the sort of thing that really gets attention and i think that's why our generation in general looks at these things as viable ways of building, you know, consistent wealth. So I just, I just urge a lot of caution um, yeah. when, when you're, you know, thinking about those types of things. Well, Jose, this has been so much fun. How can people follow the millennial money mentor? Obviously on Instagram, which is where I found you, but where are, where else, where else are you? Yeah. So I'm actually uh, starting to be a lot more active on Twitter. I, I use it kind of uh, dynamically. I use the screenshots just for Instagram, but I, you know, I'm trying to connect with people on there as well. I'm just double checking the handles. So on there it's at Jose and then underscore T M M M. So the millennial money mentor. Yep. Jose underscore T M M M. Uh, pretty active on there as well, but uh, I try to be very consistent on Instagram always checking direct messages, uh, always, you know, I always appreciate when people engage with the content, ask questions on there, obviously share it. That means a lot as well. So um, between Instagram and, and Twitter right now, I'd say those, those are my most active. Very cool, Jose. Thank you very much for what you do. I'm still amazed that at 25, you made the decision to leave a, a potentially seven figure career path yeah. uh, to go help people. That is yeah. Uh, yeah. That is amazing. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I still have a long way to go. And, um, you know, there's, there's definitely business intentions behind it. And there's, there's things that I'm trying to, to um, accomplish as well. But uh, I definitely just want to be someone of value to our generation. Um, being someone that doesn't come for money, I, I definitely understand the value of it. And uh, that's why I'm so comfortable being someone that can be open about these types of things. So uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show and you even thinking me highly enough to be on it, man. So I, I appreciate that. You got it, man. Take care of yourself and have a wonderful day. Hey, you too.